0: Hello, welcome to Politicking with myself, CD Madia. This is episode twenty of season three of a politics podcast brought to you by Eyewitness News. Now. I did say to you this month I want to celebrate different women Women across multiple spheres We're doing incredible work Interesting work Who are also just simply interesting To talk to Who are fascinating Whose thoughts uh make you think a little bit too About what you understand about who they are And about their own world view Or how they navigate the different worlds they occupy This week I've got Dr. Nkosa Dlamini Zuma Clarice herself I think she is absolutely fascinating I often think I find her aloof Today kind of proves me wrong I think today I think today I feel slightly differently And I think if you're listening You'll also go through very different emotions About her or myself In this engagement But I think I, I, think I enjoyed it <laughs> Take a listen Thank you so much for your time, Ma. I want to start with reflections before I even speak about what you're currently doing now. You've in essence served this country, served this government as far back as the dawn of democracy. When you look back at who and what we are, or you look back at your own career, what comes to mind? Well, uh, lots of things come to mind. I mean, we'll take the whole afternoon. Do Let's give it a summary. Let's try. Let's try a summary. <laughs> <laughs> I would give you the whole afternoon, but we don't have that kind of time.
1: Well, let me say, if we start with the, maybe we should start just before the dawn of Democrats, mm. since I am in this department. If mm. you recall, I, maybe you were too young to recall, uh, when there were negotiations at Kempton Park. The Codessa talks. Kodessa talks. Mm. The women were not part of them initially um, then we complained that we were not part of the negotiations then they said there must be a gender advisory committee which would sit in one corner they will negotiate and then send things to us then we must say whether they are gender sensitive or not so When we were sitting there before they sent anything to us, I I happened to be one of the members of that gender advisory committee. Mm. We asked ourselves the question, what are we doing here? The negotiations are somewhere, an advisor report, advice you take or reject. So there's no reason for us to be here. Then we said, no, we don't want to be here. We want to be in the negotiations. On the table with everyone else. So then we went back to our political parties. I was coming from the ANC. We said to the ANC, please, we want women on the negotiating table, not in the advisory board committee. And they said, okay, we'll talk to the other parties. They came back and said, the other parties said, women, what do they know about negotiations? We don't have the women that can sit and negotiate. So we said, fair enough each party is supposed to have four main negotiators. So those who have women will have two male negotiators and two female. Those who don't have will have two only, the two men. So, because they don't have the women. Mm. So they went back to negotiate that. Uh, Eventually, it wasn't clear whether they are going to agree. It was at a time we took a chance at the time when the negotiations had stopped because of, of the boy pattern massacre. Boy, the button massacre yes. yes. So we then said, if women are not there, we're going to go and sit in there. You kill us or you or you allow us in. So as the day for the negotiations was coming, then we mobilized women from across the country. And we when they realized that women were now taking trains and buses from Cape Town and from all over to come to sit in, mm. they then agreed. So we then. And you forced their hand. We then used that as a celebration that we were now going to be in the negotiations. So I wasn't part of the negotiating team, but.
0: You found that way to, to be.
1: No, no. I, I didn't because I was I was working, so I couldn't be full-time. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. but at least the women were now allowed. Mm-hmm. I'm just taking you back there, because sometimes we forget that everything f- that women want is a struggle. And if we are not organized, not united, not independent, we may not always get what we want. But if we are organized, and united about something, we will get what I want. Even the parties that said they didn't have women, they found them. <laughs> but also before then, we had formed what we called the Women's Coalition and got to, to do a charter for women. Because we said we may belong to different political parties, but we have a lot in common as women irrespective of the political party that you come from. So that assisted us, even in the negotiations, to get a constitution that at least uh, says there must be equality, non-sexist South Africa and so on. So I wanted to just take you back there. Then when we got into government, what stands out to me is that the first cabinet of this country in the democratic South Africa only had two women. And we complained. How can we only have two women? Then Tada, the president, then was President Nelson Mandela promised that whenever there's an opening he'll bring in women. And of course we 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 have been struggling, one, to get women to be properly represented. Because I think what stands out for me when it comes to women, I'll come to Mm -hmm. other issues, Mm -hmm. when it comes to women is that women, in my view, must be in every area of human endeavor. They must participate in equally. That's when we can say women in this country are free, when we participate equally in every area of human endeavor whether it's the judiciary, whether it's academia, whether it's religious leadership, wherever. So, but we've made a lot of progress compared to where we were. Because there was a time in this country, uh, I come from KZN, there was something called the Natal Code. Mm. The Natal Code basically made women minors, irrespective of who you were, how old old you were, when you were working, you were a minor, So a lot of progress has been made. But we need younger women to defend those gains and push the frontiers even further. For me, that's what I think should happen. The younger generation must not just say what they want, they must defend those gains, because it, they, they can be lost. They must be organized, they must unite and defend those gains, and then keep pushing the frontiers. The, the other thing that comes to me is when the inauguration happened, I cried. This is the 94 inauguration? The Ninety-four. Breakthrough. I was here at the Union building with everybody else, and when President Mandela took the oath, I, I cried. Because it was a moment that I think all South Africans uh, had been waiting for who are progressive, who believe in human rights, who believed in non-oppression, non-exploitation. That's the moment we were all waiting for. But also, it was a mixed emotions for me. It wasn't just joy. It was joy, but it was also sadness that so many people had to lose their lives before we get there. Mm. So, it was very mixed emotions. But of course, we were happy. Now, President Mandela was the first democratic president. founding father of our democracy. But I was also honored, humbled, and scared when he said, I must be Minister of Health. Yes. For me, that was an honor. I was humbled, but I was very scared. Because I'd never been in Parliament, let alone be a minister. None
0: of you had.
1: None of you <laughs> but let me tell you. Let me tell you, the, the media were carrying some Are stories. Are you crying because
0: you're thinking about no, the no, past? No, no, no.
1: Okay.
0: Because I've been laughing oh, No, I'm hoping you said that. I, <laughs> that. I, I tear up when I laugh, so I accept so, it. <laughs> I cry so, about the past. I so think the past but, was glorious. Yes, sorry. sorry. <laughs> so
1: there was media. Because we had fought in the ANC that we won 30%. Of NCE MPs to be women. Mm-hmm. So the media was saying, what do these women know about parliament? Why are they going to parliament? But we're all going to parliament for the first time, men and women. Mm-hmm. You can see the attitude right from there. From the very beginning. From the beginning. What what do these women know about parliament? What do the men know about parliament? They've never been.
0: Let me ask you this, let me bring you to 2023. That attitude in essence hasn't gone away. No. What do these women want? And I think about you, but beyond you, I think about the making when I went to the governing party NC conference with Umabu, where there was an opportunity there for a woman president at some point of the NC. You represent an opportunity of a woman president in your time. And part of the questions around you were, what does she know? What would a woman presidency mean? But not only that, It also speaks to me, spoke to me at the time, to the inability of women to freely come together towards a vision. If I felt back then that if the women were actually together, we would have actually had President Zuma.
1: Well, that's why I said, you know the women of 1956, Mm. one of their slogans was organize, unite, For people's power. Organize, unite for people's power. Because they knew that if they were organized and united, they could go a long way in getting what they want. So that's why I said the young people, if they want to defend the gains and push the frontiers, they must be organized they must be united. I added independent purposely because mm. if you are not independently thinking as women and you are coerced by other people. The politics of your male counterparts. Then you won't get to where you want to be. So, uh, what you I don't know whether you wanted me to respond to the issue about myself. Well, but of course I do well i actually am quite experienced in government yes probably the most experienced that's what i think yes <laughs> in fact that's what i've seen that's what i know for a fact you i'm know? very experienced in government because the anc has invested in me from the day of the democ- dawn of democracy i've been a minister in this country mm. in different portfolios I was Minister of Health, then I was Minister of Foreign Affairs, take now, mm-hmm. International Relations. I think Home Affairs at some point. I was Minister of Home Affairs. And beyond that, they sent me to be the first woman chair of the AU Commission, African Union Commission. Mm-hmm. came back, I have been a minister since. So, I am experienced in terms of government. Uh, Secondly, um, women have an equal stake in this country and there is nothing that should stop us from occupying any position. Um, At the National Women's Day. What did the president said? I won't repeat, but he said women tend to be better than men. I agree. Yes, one one hundred and ten percent. I said in our of time. Why shouldn't they lead the country? It doesn't even have to be me.
0: But when you were the question to your party, it failed to answer it positively. Sure. What are your thoughts on that? Well, then I realized we're not where we
1: should be the struggle continues. I will always struggle for women to participate equally. It doesn't have to be me, but the point is women have the same right to Mm. be in any position. And it's not because they are not there, not because women don't have the capacity or the capability. That's why when people were saying when we believe in quotas, it means we don't believe in merit. I disagree with that. Meritocracy matters, yeah. We believe in merit. But quotas forces you to look for the women of merit. They are there. Mm. But if there is no quota, there is nothing that forces you to look for them. And find them.
0: Absolutely. Let's speak a little bit about this ministry that you're currently occupying. Its work is important. On the ground, South African women will tell you that, and I'm speaking specifically around gender based violence. South African women will tell you that, yes, we are hearing of a government that pushes legislation, uh, fast track legislation, in order to help but we really remain as vulnerable as we were yesterday. The work of a department like this is either not understood or is seen as a parking ground. By and large, political pundits would have said, yeah, it's a demotion. What are we not understanding about this department? To me, it actually should be the most important because we are under siege in the country as women and children. Well, I don't know what a demotion is in government because
1: when I get to a department as long as it's not created for me it means somebody must occupy it it wasn't created for me so it's there, somebody must do it at this point in time it's me maybe they say that because it has no budget you would laugh if I tell you what our budget is please tell us Well, we get about a billion rands Seven hundred plus of that were asked to give to the NYDA. Oh, it's a very tiny, a tiny, po- tiny budget. Down. What a post office! We take seven hundred plus to the DA. We take ninety plus to the Gender Commission. We remain up with about two hundred. We compensate employees
0: and we remain with 76 million to do everything so would this department have been better placed outside of presidency are the budget constraints because it's part of presidency um, how is it that it has so little in the face of what this country is dealing with and what we all recognize as a problem well when I try to ask that question I'm told it's an advocacy
1: department it's not supposed to do things It's just advocacy but what I've decided is that, well, whatever the budget, we have to look at what we can do. Let's come to GPV and femicide. It's true that we push legislation and so on, but also the programs tend to be more reactive than preventative. So what we are now saying is that the president announced that GBV and femicide is a second pandemic. So we're saying now to government, let's treat it as a second pandemic. So what we are proposing is that there must be a, a, a similar campaign at the lowest level, which is the ward in government. We must have a campaign that exists in every ward, and that campaign should bring everybody together, whether it's women, political, church, youth, the same, religious leaders, the traditional leaders. If it's in traditional spaces, businesses, counselors, political parties, they must form a structure at the ward level that says campaigns and says zero tolerance to gender-based violence and femicide in this ward because if people in the ward begin to frown to anyone who is involved in GPV and femicide and impregnating impregnating young girls rape. Mm then people will begin to think twice to do it but if it's only reactive that when you have done it then there must be rapid response there must be this then it's not going to to decrease i'm not saying even that campaign will decrease it overnight but it will make an impact over time you want to concentrate society Yes, like, just like we did with tobacco, the police were saying we can't have this law, because they, <laughs> <that's worse. laughs> they said, we can't have this law, because police can't police it. Mm. And we said, no, the public will police it. Now we want the public to prevent gender-based violence in their space, where they live. If all of us said, in this house, there would be no gender-based violence and femicide, in this community,
0: in this world, in this community, then it will decrease. The legacy of your work on tobacco remains very strong in the country, so that's a very good example to lean back on. There are questions that people have about you being in the specific department, or rather you serving in President of Apostles' Cabinet, some have made remarks that Towards the end of last year, you sounded like somebody who had no faith in his capabilities as a leader Yet you take up the opportunity to come back and serve under him. Why? This country Needs people to
1: serve the country. The people of this country need service I'm serving the people mm. And he has given me that opportunity to serve the people I'm not serving him He has appointed me to serve the
0: people. And that's what I'm doing. Do you regret standing up in Parliament last year calling for the report on the Palapala uh, matter to be adopted in Parliament? Do you regret that decision? Why should I regret just my decision? And then I want to move now. I don't think there's a reason why you should regret it. I want to move now (laughs) to issues of... um, No, no, actually let me stay with that for a little bit. Are there no concerns of repercussions on the ANC's part? There was a period where it said it wanted to to take action against those who defied the organisation in that moment, because there was a decision, a party line that was due to be followed.
1: Well, ask the people who are leading the ANC who said that. I didn't say it. Are you not worried that there might be repercussions on your end? Well, if you take a decision, and you believe that you are right and your conscience is clear about it, you you would be willing to take whatever comes.
0: So you stand firm. I want to speak about local governments. That is part of your background. You serve the country in that space. When you watch what happens in areas like Gauteng, for instance, when you see the metros in Gauteng, what comes to mind, Minister? Well, to be honest,
1: I feel sad about it, but when I came, the metros were not, uh, they were in coalition, I think, since 2016. Yes, they were. Since 2016. Mm. But what I regret, and I don't like about that department, is that people expect you to do things but you have no authority to do them. I have no authority to go to when you are, when you are in that department you have no authority to go to a, a metro or a, a, a municipality and say no you are wrong do this do, don't do this because it's a different sphere of government Yes, and I wish we had that authority I think it would work better but also um, I'll repeat this because I've said it even you see in the local government space we have two structures we have the administration Mm -hmm. and you have the council which is the political political space then on the side you have business right so an ideal municipality should be if I were to illustrate, should be like a fried egg. Okay, where you have the white, you have the yellow. They are together, but they are distinct. They're not mixed up. So you have the council, you have the administration. They are working together, and you have business on the side. But what happens in many municipalities, which causes problems? You don't see that. Wha- that Fried egg, you see an omelette.
0: So there's a mixed mess,
1: even though you see, by, by the rules you there see should a, be a separation. Yes, you see an omelette, you, you don't know whose administration, who's egg c- council member. Sometimes um. it's a vegetable omelette because the business is inside there as well. How do we rectify that? That is the problem. How do we rectify it? well it has to be rectified by all of us political parties must rein in the members to make sure that they don't get involved in the supply chain issues the administration must keep to the rules the uh, mfma and the business must also keep to the rules but also the way councillors are elected sometimes you find that business will support this one because they think if this one comes in they will be able to get... Advance their cause and their interests. So I think if we were to really get municipalities to be like a fried egg and vegetables on the side, then it would work because then the council will oversee the administration the administration will do its work guided by the MFMA, and business will then apply. There was, I'll, I'll illustrate what I'm saying practically. Mm. There is a municipality I went to, right? At, in fact, um, I was still at DPME uh, when we went to Northwest, it was the municipality there we, we visited. And we called a meeting of the councillors, the administration, the business and other stakeholders. And the administration told us in front of everybody that here we just get quotes from the councillors. And they say here are the three quotes. You don't even know whether it's one company just with three different names yeah and then we're told we must appoint we appoint we then we don't get invoices from the from the suppliers. yeah we get invoices from the councillors <laughs>
0: that's how broken invoice well, that's pay? how broken our country is that's, that's how broken municipalities are well not all but I'm just illustrating
1: what my you've point. seen yes, yes then we get an invoice and we have to then pay, which shouldn't be the case. So, sometimes that hep- when that happens, obviously there'll be problems in the municipality. Service delivery won't be in place. People will be demonstrating, banning things in the street, and they will not vote for that party in the next election. So I think we really need, and, and, and I think everybody is trying to rectify that.
0: So let me ask first your thoughts about that attempt, at least with government at the helm, to get parties to rise and to, to be alive to the idea of coalitions and how to better manage coalitions to the benefit of the people.
1: We're coming from local
0: government. You're talking about local government coalition well this is in essence the first part i will go to 2024 that's kind of where i'm going but for now i'll speak about government um national government intervention in this regard well
1: i think coalitions work and don't work depends on the parties that are in place and what their objectives are about their own municipality where collisions work people must have a common desire to see the municipality work to see service delivered to the to the communities that put them there and I think when they have a common desire they will be able to work but if they have different objectives and they don't care about the people and it's about them, then they want to work. But if they all say it's about the people, how do we make it work? So that we deliver services to the people we serve. Mm. Then
0: it will work. Minister, have you heard of anything called the Moonshot Pact? Moonshot Pact. Moon Moon The Moon, shot moon, pact. moon <laughs> The Moonshot Pact. I saw it in the media. What are your thoughts about that see hearing parties opposition parties wanting to come together and funny enough we spoke about the codesa talks you took me back to codesa they want to have something like a codesa this week in order to set the country on a different pathway what are your thoughts i mean they have gone all the way to picking empress palace which is where the codesa talks took place well i come from the
1: governing party they are called the opposition <laughs> So they it's, are they they are duty. They're doing their job. They are opposing. So we should just try and do the right thing as the governing party. They will always
0: oppose. They will always oppose. The That's the why job. they're called the opposition. <laughs> the job. Are you worried about the ANC's prospects in 2024? Well,
1: of course every election brings some anxiety about whether you're going to do well or not. And obviously as the ANC we should be trying to do our put our best foot forward in terms of delivering services to the electorate we should be trying to be real servants of the people so that they could see that we are serving them and that way we can and show that they trust us and they give us another opportunity because if we show our best foot forward if we show all of us all of us who are in positions to serve the people we show that we are real servants of the people then we should have the opportunity to, we will have an opportunity to win.
0: Okay, I so, am. Mm. For me, it's in our hands. It's what we do. It's up to the NCU. It's own features in its own hands. Um, I am trying to round round off. I'm I'm trying to touch a few things that I think I really want to get uh, get your thoughts on. Um, what does the NCU do to regain lost trust? It's lost a lot of trust over the years. Are there simple wins? from your eyes and I think you've kind of alluded to it now it's it's serving the people but what else can the INSEE do well first of all
1: we we sometimes we have allowed a distance between us and the people so I think that distance should be closed we should not be spending too much time talking to ourselves we should be out there doing what we should be doing and we should have conversations with the people. You know, uh, earlier on, we had something called the listening campaign. Uh, it was in the, I think in the 90s we used Yeah, because I'm
0: it. like, I don't know an NC of a listening campaign. No, we, we used listening to campaign, have, yeah. what we,
1: we called listening campaigns, where we actually, instead of talking <coughs> to the people, we actually listened to them. What do you think we've done wrong? How do you think we can correct what, we've, what you see as wrong? And I think if we do that, listening to the people, uh, and accepting where we've done wrong, that yes, we've done wrong, we're not perfect, but we are, we are willing to change, while willing to correct our mistakes. I think the people will understand us mm. as long as we are genuinely willing to change and we
0: are changing. That's the key being general. You currently have a secretary general who doesn't think twice, I think, about calling out employees of the ANC or serving the government for failing to do their jobs. We've seen it happen, at least with the Public Enterprises Minister saying, if you don't move on ABCD we will remove you. What are your sentiments about having somebody in that position publicly scolding uh, employees who are not coming to the party? I don't recall, at least in my time as a journalist, the engine of the organization being like that, that upfront, that direct and that bold in dealing with ANC Deployees and Governments? Well I think we
1: are Deployees as you say We are deployed by the ANC the ANC can call us out but I hope that before they call you out in public they sit you down and talk to you so I have no problem in being called out but I'm just hoping that before they call you out in public They can sit down with you, show you where you are wrong, and show you how you can improve. Extend a
0: little bit of courtesy before
1: a public uh, outing. So I don't know, because I I I can't really respond to that specific, because I don't know what had happened. Whether that had been a
0: conversation or what, I don't know. I suspect there was no conversation because the statement followed later. Um, I want to look at your home province quickly. I am trying to round off. Again, this is a few things I want to get your thoughts on. Um, KwaZulu-Natal very much like Houteng is likely to go into coalitions if the ANC doesn't do what it ought to do well. But part of what you're hearing is a lot of parties or those who work with the ANC in Kesel and complaining about dealing with what they feel is an arrogant provincial executive committee they feel that it suffers from 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 hubris um there's just a lot of Arguments around dealing with the leadership there and to some within the NC that is concerning because that could lead actually to the NC losing uh, KZN and a lot of work was done to win over And When you look at your home province What are your thoughts about the leadership there? What ought to be done um, and the way
1: forward? Well, I think one of the things that I think they are trying to do they've called on Some of the people who have served before, who are more experienced, um, they've called them into Council of Elders, for lack of a better word. Uh, And they want to work with them. And they want that uh, council to guide them where they need guidance and to also uh, give them ideas so I think, for me, that is a, a good move because they are now not going to be just working alone, but they are going to be working with other people who have been on that road before. Um, in Zulu there is a saying which says, in yes, very much. so. so right. Mm. So I think that's what they are now trying to do, Uguti. Babu The ones who
0: are ahead of you to give yes. guidance.
1: Mm. So the chair of that council is U Comrade So I think that that's a good move on
0: their part. Okay. Um Former President Jacob Zuma was given a remission, uh, remittance of sentence. Uh a few weeks ago by the president um, your thoughts on that let me first ask about that where there's an order for him to return to prison and then he's given special remission um, what are your thoughts on that Should it be, would have been best if we visited that this the first time around in 2021 you know I don't believe so
1: much in dwelling on something you can't change something that has happened you can't change but you can change what you do today and tomorrow. And I think the president, the minister of justice, did
0: well this time. <laughs> this time, time. Yes. But this is not a matter that's going to leave us alone because there's still an issue around the arms deal. Do you think they need to apply a similar sense of logic about the future? I, don't, I That's not my
1: space. But I'm just saying they did well. So it's up to them. It's the president. It's the... Minister of Justice they must look at the matter
0: and deal with it. I can accept that. I forgot to ask you a question earlier on that I do want to go back to. Part of the work, you said that this department is seen as one that advocates, right? Does advocacy work? Um, The issue around persons with disabilities part and parcel of I think the challenge has been not finding them in particular spaces uh, and making way for them in, in higher spaces. How is that How is that for your department? Are you able to find space for them in the public sector in high ranking roles um, in government? Well, the the government
1: has a policy that says that 2%, at least 2% of the people employed in the public service should, in each department, should be persons with disabilities living with disability. So what we are doing is to check, as an advocacy department, whether that is happening and where it's not happening to check what are the constraints. Because sometimes people say, well, they don't apply. But maybe we should find a way sometimes of looking out for them because if they don't apply, of course, they won't be employed. But maybe we should find ways and means of looking out for them so that if there are opportunities, they can also take those opportunities. But we should also make it easy for them, not only in the public service, but also the private sector, civil society, Everywhere we should make it easy for them. Their mobility assistance when they are working in in, in spaces because you, you they, sometimes they need uh, ramps and if a building doesn't have a ramp and you have a wheelchair it becomes a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: need to be able to have a, a guide uh, if you if if you don't if you are blind and so on. So it's important, and that's why it's important also now that the sign language is a 12th language, official language of the country. Even ourselves, we must find ways of trying to learn so that at least we can make basic conversations even if we don't have an interpreter at hand but we must also make sure that interpreters are available but we must all just try and learn do better
0: mm-hmm. yes i keep saying i'm done i am really done uh, the brics summit is coming up there's a two pronged question i need to ask you there on the first part i know you spoke at the brics youth summit and you spoke very important very i think loudly boldly about the importance of guarding against imperialism for this coming gen- the, this generation of young people Then. The other part of of the question is what do you want BRICS countries to think about when it comes to the different communities that you've been dealing with and trying to assist? Well,
1: obviously, uh, BRICS countries, like every country, have women, they have youth, Mm. they have persons with disability. And if we're looking at a just society, there must be justice for all of them. They must enjoy equal rights in every country so with youth we must make sure that youth are healthy and are skilled then we must make sure that they have access to finance they have access to uh, opportunities of being entrepreneurs if they want to be entrepreneurs, of jobs where they are skilled to do those jobs. If they want to be in small business we must facilitate that for them and actually the economy must be driven by young people. They innovate, they are creative we have lots of talent in the creative industry. Mm. We must make sure that we harness and nurture that talent because talent is equally spread across the world. Whether you take a hundred French kids, a hundred American kids, British, the Russians, kind of South Africans, Swazis, uh, Burundians mm-hmm. or whoever, the talent will be evenly spread. It's what will you do with that talent, how you develop and nurture that talent.
0: And then the issue of guarding against imperialism and how that remains important. Um, South Africa, I think, is caught in the battle between the U.S. and the Russians and the, this and the Chinese. Um, the importance of guarding against these big Western powers who've taken advantage of the continent already and making sure we guard against it going forward. Well, I think
1: we, we should work within BRICS countries also to create a, a, a kind of new world uh, multilateralism. Um, but for me, it's really what we do ourselves as Africans on this continent and how we then relate with BRICS, with everybody else. This continent for me has a paradox. We are a rich Africa with poor Africans and that is what we must change. Why do I say we are a rich Africa? What is it that other people used to develop that we don't have on the continent? Most of these countries developed using resources from our, our material. continent mm. when they don't have it themselves but we have done the same for ourselves. That's why we are a rich continent with poor Africans. The paradox of plenty. Um, so, so it's important that our paradigm shifts, that we use our own resources to industrialize, to manufacture, so that we stop saying we have unemployment, but we export jobs. If you send anything raw, you are not only sending that material raw, you are sending jobs that are going to process it. You are sending jobs that are going to beneficiate it. So, we, yes, when you send raw things, you sell, you're exporting jobs. I'm, I'm in agreement with you I'm and you're not only exporting jobs you are also exporting revenue because by the time that thing comes back as a finished good it's probably ten or more times more expensive than what you got when you sold it raw so I think that must stop
0: how possible is it you worked at the au you understand the continent better than most how possible is that vision that you're that you're putting forward based on what you know about dealing with the countries on this continent it is
1: possible if we decolonize our minds if we don't decolonize our minds it's not
0: possible let me ask you my final final question how long do you think it will take for us to get to where we were with you in 2017 for instance where there's another woman that we can identify who has the right ambitions and is able to put on a campaign but not only get to where you were, where it's almost but actually we see a woman president. How far is South Africa from that vision? It depends whether first of all take, talking
1: about my own party whether we are willing to look at the candidate and not at the, ma- and at the money that somebody gives us. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I think she's done with me. Thank you so much, Doctor. That's it from us. A special thank you to Lerato Herfela and Didi So for Eyewitness News, my name is TD Madia.